everywhere this team went, everywhere those guys uh, ever went, were completely underestimated. They didn't. Uh, they didn't get off the bus looking like a team that you were going to be intimidated by, if I can say that with the utmost respect. Yeah, I mean, we were a bunch of white boys and Chris. <laughs> Nobody with a bunch of muscles, you know. I, yeah, no, we were used to that. Welcome to 123 Wildcats. I'm your podcast host, Neil Amato. This leadoff episode, we hope, will set the scene, spur you to keep listening. We are going to give some spoilers. Hey, breaking news from the 1996-97 high school basketball season in North Carolina. East Chapel Hill played in the state championship game. They were a first-year school. New school basketball teams just don't do that. And if they go you know, 17 and eight, and they lose in the second round of the playoffs. That's a nice story, but that's not a podcast worthy story. And so that's why we're doing this podcast, because they had an absolutely special season with an absolutely special ending. I, I, I enjoyed watching him the whole year, and he was a great player, tenacious, but Shooter was not, was not one of the things that I would have put next to his name. And for him to make that shot was um, just storybook. It was really, um, it's still hard to believe that that really happened. That was Bruce Margulies, a writer who saw East Chapel Hill play more than anyone else that 96-97 season. He's talking about East Chapel Hill point guard Andy Jones. You'll hear Bruce's insight at other points in this podcast, and you'll hear plenty more about Andy Jones. He was the Wildcats floor leader, and one of the best passers you'll see anywhere. The whole time, I'm like, is this real? Did this, you know, did that ball just go in? Brian Fitzgerald was the leading scorer at power forward. He's been called a 6'5 Kevin McHale by an opposing coach. Yeah, I mean, really, it's all about the pump fakes, Neil. I mean, these uh, these high schoolers are a little too springy for their own good. I recommend at least six to eight pump fakes per possession. <laughs> the rest of the starting yeah. lineup. High-flying forward, Brad Woolley. You know, why do you play? You play to compete, and why do you compete? It's to win championships, and we did that. Down court, quick pass. It's the Woolley. He stuffs it. He stuffs it. The crowd comes alive. It's and then guard Paul Kindom, a, a tank of a guard, a hard-nosed, not-afraid-to-take-the-big-shot guard, Paul Kindom. We were just excited to be there and you know doing every little thing we we could to to win the game all four of those were juniors those were the oldest guys on that team they were all 16 years old during this season because east chapel hill as a new high school did not have a graduating class the first year that's one of the things that made this so magical they were just a three grade school so all that talk about senior leadership they did not have it because they had no seniors in the school. East Chapel Hill High is in its first year of existence. Its basketball team has no seniors, but the Wildcats made history by making it all the way to the state 3A finals. So I've mentioned Jones, Fitzgerald, Woolley, and Kindom. The fifth starter was Chris Hobbs. Chris Hobbs was a 6'6 mountain of a man-child even then. He probably weighed about 240 and Let's just say he's memorable, and he will be mentioned prominently in this podcast. Layup is going to be good. Whoa, backdoor shot to Chris Hobbs. 
as Hobbs scores for East Chapel Hill. They're going to put pressure in the backcourt against Hickory. Tyha turns, it's blocked. Whoa, nice block. Chris Hobbs, down quickly come the Wildcats. The Wildcats bench was pretty short that year. Eric Henderson, a versatile freshman, was the only one that, that you could guarantee was going to play in every game. We just played so well together. I mean, that was the, that was the secret. Sometimes they did only go six deep. Uh, in the state championship game, they did play six players. The seventh, a freshman, Cooper Healy, got to the scorer's table in the state championship game and thought he was going in, but didn't quite make it. Because Chris was having back spasms, and Coach was looking like, okay, well, if you can't go in and you're hurting here, all right, we're going to have to send in Coop, you know? And and there I was at the scores table on one knee, looking, feeling so nervous, like, here here we go, baby, you know? <laughs> um, I don't know if you want to chalk it up to icy hot or, <laughs> or what, but Chris suddenly was feeling, okay, 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 I got to get back in there, you know? And, and he ran up to me and was like, Coop, I got this. I'm feeling, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. So Cooper's shot at, uh, at getting in that state championship box score was denied by his good friend Chris Hobbs. There were a few other guys who played, certainly, and a lot of those guys really have been credited as, as working hard and testing the guys in practice, but they did not see much court action. It was a small rotation for Coach Ray Hartsfield and the Wildcats that season. And I'll tell you what, that, that year, that enough stuff with that group to write a book on. To write a book Episode on. three will tell you more about Ray Hartsfield, the coach, his background, and what he's about. I'll give you one fact right now. To this day, there has been no other coach on the East Chapel Hill boys basketball sideline than Ray Hartsfield. He started the program in 1996. After that weekend, I said, you know what? We may not be your typical brand new school basketball program. He is still the coach. The one season that is coming up, I guess because of COVID, you can never say, but the one that's scheduled to start in January will be his 25th season with East Chapel Hill. That's hard to believe. I thought assistant coach Toby Lucas had a really straightforward, honest look at why East Chapel Hill was taken lightly. He wasn't the only one to say it, but I think he says it best here. You know, those guys were very, very athletic. I mean, they were some of the most athletic. And and to put it in perspective, a lot of people didn't respect them when they were on the court because they were white guys. They were white guys with a lot of talent that people did not respect. They're not an imposing-looking team when you don't know anything about them. No, no. We were overlooked so many times by so many teams, and, and they go off the court shaking their head like, how in the world did this happen? That was during the time when people were like, whoa, wait a minute. These guys are for real. But it was too late by the time you, you realized that. It, it was just too late. Those words are a reminder not to put people in categories, I think, based on how they look. You know, don't pigeonhole because of your preconceived notions, right? It was too late for White Oak High School's team, which played East Chapel Hill in a playoff game and felt pretty good about its chances going in. Here's Coach Greg Grantham. I felt like we had a pretty good scouting report on them. Everybody I talked to warned me, don't let you or your players be lulled to sleep when they warm up because (laughs) when they come out and start warming up, they're not going to look like a whole lot. So don't, you know, 
don't don't let that fool you into any false sense of security. Now, White Oak didn't have as much info on the Wildcats as some people. For example, uh, players at rival Chapel Hill High. Ed Gear was a standout player for those Tigers of CHHS. He grew up knowing a lot of the guys who went to East Chapel Hill, but he understood the sentiment of Grantham. That's it. And the thing about that is it's crazy because just knowing them, like, you look at them and it wouldn't be anybody that really stood out on their team. And you're like, what stands out? Like, how how are they going to be so good? So they're the best thing about them, you know, that was so good. And even just talking to them is like all of those kids spent the night over each other's houses all the time. So they knew each other's moves. They knew everything. And they just played really, really good team ball. When we played them, you didn't fear anybody. It was nobody that you looked at and like, oh, you know, they're, they're going to kind of make me nervous um, outside of Chris. The East Chapel Hill players didn't really mind the comments about not appearing to be a good basketball team. In fact, I'd say it sort of fueled them along the way. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. I guess that's part of it. Is And maybe, you know, that almost worked to our advantage in a lot of situations because people would take us lightly. You know, obviously nobody took Chris lightly because he was huge, but everybody else would be like, mm, all right, one guy, we, you know, versus the rest of these guys. Yeah, we're good. And I think that they were surprised a lot of the time. That was reserve forward Avery Stites on external perceptions of the Wildcats. He made reference to except for one guy and nobody took Chris lightly. Chris Hobbs shouldn't have been taken lightly, even though he wasn't as tall or as strong then as he would become when he played in college. But still, even as a 15-year-old, he was imposing as the freshman center for East Chapel Hill. His strength was something that opponents noticed right away. They didn't pay as much attention to the other East Chapel Hill players. When I got the idea for this podcast, it actually was an idea carried over from a book idea I had many, many years ago because I knew this story was one. I mean, Disney could not make it up, to be honest. They could not. And the idea of writing a book just seemed too uh, unapproachable to me. Uh, I wasn't sure where to start. I'm not sure where to start with this podcast, if you can't tell. But the book idea became a podcast idea when the pandemic hit. And I knew I was probably going to be in my house for a while. It's just like, I need a project. And I started calling East Chapel Hill basketball alums from that year. Those phone calls started with, I'm just going to talk to, you know, the main players and Coach Hartsfield and put together a nice little story. It, it also struck me as I was going over this is obviously none of the none of the kids were seniors and and take out the freshmen because they wouldn't have been in high school the year before. But when they're on the Chapel Hill team, they were they're probably struggling for playing time. So you've got these. Not only are they young, but they're fairly inexperienced. You know, so they, they were at a big school, they come to a new school, and they sort of start a basketball team. It still is a nice story, it's just not a little one anymore. I started calling opposing players. I started calling coaches who tried to beat the Wildcats that year. Some who did, some who didn't. And they told me a lot of good things. They did everything that coaches wanted to do. They, here's, here's your role. 
you know, Fitz, you're you're this guy, Jonesy, you're this guy, you know, and it just you put those pieces together. You figure out what the pieces you got, whether it's squares or circles or rectangles, and as long as they're consistent, then you can put the pieces together. It's when they're inconsistent, and that and that's the thing, you know, we all ask our kids to do is, you know, when you come in the gym, leave everything at the door. That once you get in the gym, everybody's the same. And it doesn't matter if you're black, white, Puerto Rican, whatever. It doesn't matter if you're rich, poor. It doesn't matter if you have one parent, two parents, or no parents. Um, it doesn't matter. You're you're in here. You're part of a team. You're part of a high school basketball team. And that commitment that you've made to be that, this is what that commitment is asking you to do. And when you can get that buy-in, that's when you win state championships. And Ray got that buy-in from his kids. And that's why they won it. They were a team. That was Mike Rotolo, who went up against East Chapel Hill as a coach in the 96-97 season. Rotolo's Southern Vance team was the only 3A school that year to beat the Wildcats. I did not see the Wildcats play in person until their state quarterfinal game against Ragsdale High School out of Guilford County. That's a game East Chapel Hill was very fortunate to win, and they know it. They had several playoff escapes. They had several close games in the regular season that will be addressed in later episodes of this podcast. The other thing I want to hit on is just how much these guys really truly seem to get along with each other, but also, more important, how much they loved basketball and were willing to work at it. It did not seem like a job to them. You know, I think it was it was just ingrained in who we were, the sport, the game, the camaraderie, the friendships, just the experience of it all. And uh, that was our natural habitat. It was a lot of hard work and there was some luck involved. There were some great plays involved, but we'd love to do it. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but you know what we did after the championship game? You probably went out and played basketball somewhere. We did. Where? At my house. Went back to my house. We played basketball in my, my driveway. I and mean, that, that's just, that's what the game was to us. You know, it was, I mean, it, that's what we did. We were, I tell my wife well, I was a basketball geek in high school. And that's what I wanted to do. People who have heard me talk about this team, and believe me, I talk about this story a lot. And that was even before the podcast. Anyway, they've asked me to compare East Chapel Hill's team to teams they might have seen. What I think East Chapel Hill is on the college level is Butler from 2010, except Gordon Hayward's shot against Duke goes in at the buzzer. Not going to try. It's Hayward pulling it down, getting around Zubat at midcourt, launches the shot. went in and Duke is the king of the dance 2010. I guess that gives away how things end for the Wildcats. But anyway, the reason I compare those two teams, Butler was playing in its home city in the championship. Granted, it was in a big uh, name I can't remember because the name changes too often, Dome Stadium in Indianapolis, not its campus uh, gym, the storied Hinkle Field House. Butler was a scrappy team, had more talent than really you expected. And even though the other team had the pedigree, the rep, and just seemed like it had history on its side, Butler obviously did not back down against Duke in that game. That's 
how I think about the Wildcats because they did not back down from anyone. That first year, they faced just about every top Class 3A team in North Carolina, many of whom had future Division I players. In December, they beat Burlington Williams in a Christmas tournament. Williams was the defending state champion and had guard Alex Spaulding, a future Oklahoma player. They beat Southern Vance when the Raiders were ranked number one in the state, and then in the state semifinals, knocked off another team ranked number one in the polls, Jacksonville White Oak. And then there was the game against Hickory in the Dean Smith Center in Chapel Hill, site of the boys' state championship games that season. Speaking of state championship venues and my previous point about Butler and Hinkle Fieldhouse, Hinkle Fieldhouse is the former site of the Indiana State Basketball Championship. Indiana used to have a a single classification tournament, meaning it did not matter the size of the school. Every school competed for one state championship, whether you were a high school with 92 kids or 4,092. I don't know if they had any that big, but big school, small school, rural school, city school did not matter. You were all playing for one trophy. And through the mid-1990s, that was the setup in Indiana. The state championship was played at Hinkle Fieldhouse. Because of this one class, uh, you know, open tournament, you definitely had some, some memorable stories over the years of small schools winning it. Uh, it became kind of legendary. It also became uh, a movie. Probably you've heard of the movie Hoosiers. If you're a basketball fan, you've probably seen it. Hoosiers is a story based on a real state champion in Indiana in the 1950s, and their coach was played by Gene Hackman. Uh, Dennis Hopper is also in that movie. And there are more similarities than you might think between East Chapel Hill and the movie Hoosiers. The other thing I want to provide is kind of a a table of contents of what else you can expect in this podcast. Episode two, our next one, is going to be just about the genesis of the team when they first got together as a group, what they thought about moving to the new school because they didn't really want to come over. Episode three uh, will be about Coach Ray Hartsfield. Episode four will focus more on point guard Andy Jones. Again, remember that name. He's a key player in the story. Episode five will focus on Paul Kindom, Brian Fitzgerald, Brad Woolley. Episode six will focus on Chris Hobbs, both his time at East Chapel Hill and his life and his legacy. Episode seven will detail some of those close games I mentioned uh, on the road to uh, the state championship game in Chapel Hill. Episode eight, I'm loosely calling the perspective episode. That's where I kind of put this whole run by East Chapel Hill into context with Hall of Fame sports writer Tim Stevens, longtime North Carolina High School Athletic Association media relations director Rick Strunk. Those two know more about North Carolina high school basketball, I'd say, than anyone. So it's great to have them on the podcast. I'll also talk to coaches who started new programs themselves. And these are coaches who are successful. I mean, like multiple state champions at other schools. And they talk about just how hard it is. So that's coming in episode eight. Episode nine looks at 
the opponent in the state championship game. You know, I mentioned Hoosiers, the Hoosiers tie-in. Well, <laughs> the name of the school that East Chapel Hill played in the state championship is Hickory. Now, Hickory is the underdog team in the movie Hoosiers. In this story, the real story in North Carolina, Hickory is the presumed favorite coming in. Hickory played in the state championship the year before. Their football team in fall 1996 just dominated everyone they played on the way to winning the state championship. And a lot of the basketball players were on that 16-0 football team. They had a talented roster. And then we'll have a bonus episode that kind of serves as a what happened for an encore for the Wildcats. We'll just keep that one mainly a surprise. Just know it's things that happened after the state championship in 1997. So that's the episode rundown. As Coach Ray Hartsfield said on March 22nd, 1997, in a television interview, we were supposed to go 2-20. and 20. We were supposed to take our lumps and build for the future. But our guys said, hey, we can be good now. And so that's what this story is about, that they totally broke the mold for what new school basketball should be. And they did it despite, you know, uh, Dick Vitale, the uh, ESPN TV announcer. You can't be serious. Are you serious? He always used to talk about, I think he used to have a thing called the all airport team. You know, he had his diaper dandies and he had his MVPs and his PTPers, but he also had an all airport team, which was kind of his joke for a guy who, if you saw him in the airport, you'd think he was like the greatest player ever. And, and it was kind of, I feel like it was kind of an insult. Like you, you looked good, but you're not good. So East Chapel Hill was the opposite. They might not have looked imposing running onto the floor, but they were very good. Right out of the gate, again, with no expectation of success and long shot odds, the Wildcats put together a season that is unprecedented in high school basketball. One, two, three, Wildcats! In the show notes, you'll be able to find music and media credits, our contact info, our Twitter handle. If you want to talk East Chapel Hill hoops, uh, or just hoops in general, we'd love to hear from you, so get in touch. And we'd also love for you to give One, Two, Three Wildcats a rating, leave us a review, and tell your friends about the podcast. Relaying the words of one opposing coach of the Wildcats from back in the 90s, Brian Fitzgerald was pretty slick. That was about his basketball talent, but it also applies to his multimedia editing talent. Anytime, Anytime you hear something slick on this podcast, you can attribute, attribute it to, to Fitz. Fitz.